State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot, happy mess. I'm Zuri Hall and this is Hot, Hot happy, happy Mess. Oh, shoot. <laughs> what is up? It is me, Z, your friend, your confidant, your fellow side part wearing skinny jean loving millennial. Hi, Gen Z. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Thanks for making me feel so old. Also, have any of you read the reports? <laughs> Has anyone seen the news today? Apparently, anyone who likes skinny jeans or side parts is a very old and washed up millennial. So I guess Hot Happy Mess has maybe become a support group. I wear middle parts sometimes. Anyways, it's me, Zuri Hall, and this is another episode of Hot Happy Mess, where we make the most of the moments we're in and find a way to celebrate the magic in the middle of our life's messes. A lot of messes. I'm in the middle of a lot of messes right now. We'll talk about that some other time, because today... I've got a show for you, baby. Kinks, fetishes, polyamory, virginity. We're covering it all. We are having some real conversations. You're going to love it. Last week, well, actually, I don't think it was last. It was, it, no, I know for sure it wasn't last week. It was a few weeks ago, but it was within this relationship and love and dating series that we're in uh, where we were talking about sex. So if you haven't listened to part one, go listen to the first half of the sex stuff. <laughs> wow. And I sound so sexy while I say it. So not even going to go there. Anyways, go back and listen to the best sex ever episode. It's really good. Um, but but most of that first episode, as much as I loved it and as awesome as the conversations were, and you guys have been giving me so much feedback saying how much you appreciate the conversation. Y'all done tried a couple of things in the bed. Ooh, nasty. I love it. Have fun, guys. Or don't. 
whatever you're into. I would say that episode, for the most part, was from a generally traditional lens um, or traditionally mainstream lens. Um, And so I'm really excited about this episode because we're opening it up to, one could say, more non-traditional lifestyle choices. And my initial vision for Hot Happy Mess was to create this safe space for, you know, mindful uh, and ambitious millennial women who are multicultural and inclusive. And, you know, we appreciate sharing and celebrating one another's experiences and learning about other women's stories and points of view, even if they're nothing like our own, particularly when they're nothing like our own. And and it feels so good to realize that's the space that we've created here collectively together. You know, this is a judgment-free zone and we're all about respect and love and kindness. And I am committed to sharing all different types of stories from all different types of women. And when I say women, I mean, we are all, all the ladies, okay? All races and backgrounds, sexualities, countries, hell, astrological signs. I'm a Gemini, but we could be technically incompatible and you just come on the show, girl, and speak your truth. I'm talking to you, Tauruses. Just kidding. I like everybody. But in all seriousness, we here at the podcast are just united I am so inspired by the fact that all of us, you, myself, all of the women uh, who are building this amazing community with me, we're just united by one mission, which is living our lives as fully and happily and mindfully as we can every single day. And that is such a tangent, such a tangent, but I feel like we're like 20 episodes almost deep into the podcast. So I just felt like I should let you know. I should remind you what it is and what it ain't. And then I should get back to the subject because y'all know I am good for a tangent. Today, we are talking about non-traditional lifestyles. We are exploring sexuality, compatibility, and I'm really excited to share some of these amazing people's perspectives with you because the only way to empathize, in my opinion, is to try to understand. So I just hope we keep learning from one another because from my perspective, the only way to empathize is to understand. And I hope that we can always keep learning from one another and educating and empowering one another and respecting one another and we'll never know the answers to questions if we never ask and people may never understand us if we never open up if we never take the risk of vulnerability so I'm super excited to give you just a small glimpse just the tip of the iceberg into um, all of these awesome perspectives and POVs you're about to hear okay this is a smorgasbord of stories and segments and y'all know I love the word smorgasbord even though I still don't know exactly how to pronounce it so Coming up, first, I wake up hella early, Los Angeles time, to chat with an awesome UK-based sex therapist whose intelligence and insight was so worth the extra shot of espresso in my dirty chai latte that morning. Celibacy versus abstinence, is there a difference? The spectrum of sexuality, what's the difference between kinks and fetishes? What is the G-spot really? And what else can we work with? Phone sex, minus the awkward vibes. We're going there, okay? She's breaking it down. Then, in one of our Hot Happy Mess signature segments, a real woman, real story. A late 20s-something, amazing boss of a woman is waiting until marriage to lose her virginity, and she's opening up with me about why. And does it ever get difficult? She's telling me if it does and how she handles it. And then later on in the show, thruple. 
Anybody? Anybody? No? Maybe? Yes? I see a yes over there. Have you heard of the thruple? Are you down with the the trifecta life? Do you know the difference between polyamory and polygamy? I didn't, but after this amazing combo, I know now. Could you ever do it? Are you interested in exploring that? Maybe a friend has come to you and brought it up. Hmm? A real life committed threesome is sharing their journey to group love with me. It's a really fun conversation. I know y'all are going to love it. You're going to love everything that's coming up. So first up, Gigi Angle is an award-winning feminist author, certified sex coach, sexologist, and sex educator. Her articles have been shared over 50 million times with her top posts reaching over 150 million shares. Dang, can I get a, a trickle down? Let me get a couple of followers. In 2019, Gigi was named Journalist of the Year at the Sexual Freedom Awards. Her new book, All the Fucking mistakes is available now. Gigi, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course, of course. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation because I'll be honest, full disclosure, there's a lot that I do not know about. And so all of these questions are coming from a place of purely wanting to understand um, and also really just share light on sometimes alternative lifestyles, sometimes alternative choices or things that, you know, some people may not be familiar with. But um, as we dive into various lifestyle choices in this episode, we'll be talking to to a polygamist later, to, to someone who's waiting for marriage before they have sex for the first time. So really just exploring from all different angles. I'm excited for you to break down some of the things that some of us may not be super familiar with. Before we get started, um, when it comes to your work, what initially ignited that passion for you? What made you decide to get into this field? So I got started in journalism. Um, I found out that it was a very, it was a simple space to get started with uh, writing about sexual health because people... As hard, it is, as hard as it is to get published with sexual health, it, it's a pretty small little uh, group of people who are willing to go out and actually like be really adventurous when it comes to sex. I've always like not given a fuck and really been all about as much attention as I could get. So like when I found out uh, like that writing raunchy sex articles was like the thing that got my voice noticed because I was originally a writer. I was like, oh, this is great. And I've always been like the horniest person alive and really interested, <laughs> just like really interested in sexuality. And uh, I'm now back in school to be a sex therapist. I'm just adding on. So like, you know, I got to get more stuff Wow. Um, because I just find human sexuality has turned out to be pretty much a vocation for me as much as writing is. They have kind of fused together and I've been lucky enough to create my own career out of this wow. kind of amazing beautiful thing that is very natural to the existential experience. Yeah, absolutely. That is so fascinating. Um, I'm curious to know from your perspective, have you sensed the cultural shift? Where do you think we are when it comes to embracing, particularly as women, our bodies, our sexuality? You know, for the longest time, there was this idea that you could be one or the other. And I, I um, celebrated this idea with a concept called Alpha Babe, which is that we can embrace our duality. We can be sexy. We can be smart. We can be, you know, a badass in the boardroom. We can be into the self-care. Um, have you sensed a shift in how women celebrating their bodies in public spaces um, and their sexuality uh, how that's been perceived while also being a woman of business or working in corporate. Um, do you sense that difference happening or do you feel like there's still much further to go? I 
I mean, I definitely live inside of a little liberal bubble of like very sex positive people. So like, I basically assume everybody's bisexual like me until I'm told otherwise. Uh, So I do kind of have to like check myself um, before I, because that's what I'll assume. I'll assume you're non-monogamous and you're bisexual unless you tell me otherwise, which is like, uh, so like that kind of just shows like the, the little microcosm in which I like exist. <laughs> it sounds but like then, a fun you know, bubble to be in. I'll be honest. I mean, it's good fun. Like the group of us are like good fun, good yeah, fun. Like, good all time. my friends are just bisexual queer folk. It's, it's yeah. good fun. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, but then I also, you know, I get letters every single day about like, uh, women who, from women, especially or women identified people who will ask me for sex advice when really like what they're describing is like an abusive relationship. And they're just like, not even aware of it because even though I love that in a lot of public spaces, women are starting to celebrate their bodies and starting to be more comfortable with like allowing themselves to really like love themselves and be hot and be sexy and like not feel like they're just doing it for it's not, there's we're moving away from the male gaze, like very slowly, but um, there is like a ton of work still to be done. We're not, in like liberal sex positive utopia yet so hopefully someday <laughs> only you're there but hopefully you'll give it to the masses <laughs> with this important work that you're doing um and then we'll be able to see that reflected in mainstream culture as much as it is in this this microcosm that you said you've been able to create for you yourself and the people who are close to you yeah i mean in, in a perfect world everybody would just be we wouldn't need any kind of labels really right. you would just everyone could just be people and um, I, I mean like things like polyamory or um, open relationships and non-monogamy like they wouldn't be considered alternative relationship styles they would just be like relationship styles and nobody would make assumptions about each other and that would be a nice a nice world to live in if we could all just be people yeah well awareness and education is so much a part of that process on on the journey to that and that's why I'm really grateful that you're here to educate me to educate our audience um, I want to just dive right into some of the differences with uh, some of these terms that people may not be entirely sure about the differences when it comes to them uh, kink versus fetish what is the difference between those two because I honest to God don't know right now uh, okay well kink is kind of like the big umbrella term it's a uh... It's like anything that is outside of what would be traditional heterosexual intercourse, um, which can actually, I think, surprises people. Like, basically, if you think, if you look at it definitionally that way, like oral sex, sex that isn't for procreation, sex between queer people, sex that does not involve penises, like, that's all kinky. Really? Because it's not, it's not PIV sex. But that, but really, it's like, that's sort of like the traditional terminology really it's like it's definitely become more nuanced where like anything kinky is something that falls outside of what we would consider like vanilla or like normal Mm -hmm. and the thing about kink is like it's such a a a broad term that pretty much anything can be kinky to anyone like you might think that anal sex is really kinky and another person might think that getting tied up and into a shibari chandelier and being hung from the ceiling is like not that big of a deal so and they're like that's sounds not, like a like, good time mm-hmm. sounds like i need to stretch first <laughs> just, yeah it's like mm-hmm. gotta like just stretch my hips and like get yeah. to my my human chandelier sounds great yeah so yeah. it, it kind of like varies uh kink is often used interchangeably with bdsm the but the two are not they are the same but they're different so kink is bdsm is kink but kink isn't always bdsm Got it. and i'll break yeah. that down um so bdsm stand stands for uh Bondage and submission, mm-hmm. uh, dominance and submission, bondage and uh, sadomasochism. So it's like BDSM and they kind of like 
fall into each other. So that usually the bondage aspect has to do with um, like rope tying uh, with things usually that it's usually rope or it's handcuffs, uh, something along those lines. Uh, there's all sorts of bondage equipment you can use. A lot of it is based on this dominant submission role where the two or more people who are involved in the play are willingly and consensually giving and receiving control. Mm-hmm. Um, so this can involve, BDSM can involve a lot of stuff. A lot of people think that, you know, when you hear BDSM immediately, people are like, oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like I didn't want like, to say it. I didn't want to be the basic bitch who yeah. was like, so like Fifty Shades, but ooh, it was well, it is, the tip it of my It is tongue. the go-to. It's okay. the thing. It's like, I have, I have to like, it's like love, love-hate relationship with Fifty Shades. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, it kind of like, there was a lot of stuff that was like incorrect about it. I mean, E.L. James is honestly, it's like E.L. James was just like a novelist who was just like talking shit. So she didn't, she's not like a BDSM practitioner. Right. So, and so, and it kind of painted BDSM in this light of like, if you, pr- if you practice BDSM, then you must've had a traumatic background mm. when like studies have shown that like people who are kinky or, or practice BDSM are no more likely to have a traumatic background. It can be healing for people with a traumatic background, but it's not necessary. At the same time, I loved Fifty Shades of Grey because it actually made BDSM mainstream. Mm-hmm. And it it uh, brought so many, like so many people had no idea that this was even a thing. My mom had no clue what BDSM was. Really? Um, Were you the never one heard of it. Who, who schooled her? Well, she read Fifty Shades of Grey and she kept calling it mommy porn. <laughs> no! Um, it, was, it was honestly like the, just like, it was so pure. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's and so like that was, and so it kind of made, it made it accessible for people. So, yeah. so like love to hate, um, or hate to love, like sort of, yeah, there are good things and bad both. things about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, a fetish on the other hand is usually something that is not a non-sexual object or act that a person requires in order to become fully sexually aroused or fully enjoy a sexual experience. Um, with that being said, there is, so this, this kind of ranges, it could be something, it could be something that is, is considered sometimes sexual, like tits, like your, maybe your tits have to be involved. And that's yeah. like, if like, otherwise, like you're not going to like the sex or it yeah. could be something re- like something more weird, like, uh, your partner, you need to be wearing, your partner needs to be wearing high heels or, high or heels. like, okay. I was, or I might, maybe my like, mind went to feet. I feel like I'm always hearing about or a foot fetish. Foot yeah. Fetishes. yeah. Like want to put like, uh, your feet in their mouths or mm-hmm. vice versa. And that's like, that's the thing that, that does it for you. Mm. Um, a fetish is, I would, it, it was kind it's kind of been defined as something that someone needed in order to have a gratifying sexual experience. But with all things sexuality, there is a lot of nuance. So while the fet, the, you may have a fetish for, let's say you have a fetish for spanking. Mm-hmm. You may like have a fetish for spanking and to really like fully enjoy a sexual experience, like to your fullest, you would want, you would need spanking to be involved, but you okay. could have no, have no spanking and still have like, have a good time. Got it. So okay. it's kind of like not putting things in such black and white boxes that like are right. too defined because people, that's not how human sexuality exists. It's not how anything exists when right. it comes to being a person. When it comes to fetishes, is there ever, um, well, I would I would assume the, the answer is yes, but are, are there often spaces in which someone has a fetish that they don't want, that for whatever reason it's here, I, I don't like that every time I'm having a, a sexual encounter, I need this thing and maybe I want to seek help for it or whatever it is. Um, do you find that, that's, that that is really um, kind of a misconception about fetishes or is that a thing that people actually deal with often? I have this fetish, I don't want to have it. 
I mean, again, it's like there are people who have fully embraced their fetishes and they're like all about it. And they're like, I am like, I'm like, there's a fetish called splashing, which is where you need, where you like to sit inside of jelly like substances, like a pool full of jello and like have sex in jello. And maybe you've like found your splashing community and you fucking love it. And you're like, I love my shit. Like I am a proud splasher. I live my Mm -hmm. life. But a lot of fetishes are complete are very shrouded in shame and a lot. Mm-hmm. And I would say the vast majority of people who have a fetish probably don't tell anyone about it or very secretive about it. Mm-hmm. We don't live in a sex positive society where we accept, we barely accept things that are barely accept non monogamy, like mm-hmm. non monogamous sex. We still slut shame women. How are we mm-hmm. supposed to accept someone who wants to suck on another person's big mm-hmm. toe? Yeah. It's like, we are not there as a right. society. So there is a <laughs> lot yeah, of shame. And often our shame, like, so say, you were to have uh, like if someone had a fetish around like nylon stockings, mm-hmm. it may be that they had like early exposure to like uh, their, their mom with not like wearing nylon stockings when they were really little. And those were sort of like ingrained messages. It's mm-hmm. not. And like, it was kind of seen as taboo or it was kind of wrong. And it's sort of built into a sexual fetish. That's also possible. Mm-hmm. Fetishes come from all kinds of different things. We often bracket it. Like there'll be a lot of trying psychologists will try to, pathologize it and be like, Oh, it must be because you like had some inappropriate thing happen to you or like something bad happened to you. And so now you have this like, like sicko thing you like, and that's not necessarily true. It might've been like 18 years old and you saw like giant butts in a porn and you were like, Oh, that is my thing now. Yeah. And then you're like, grow into a fetish. We, we don't just like, we're not born with fetishes necessarily. So maybe sometimes we are, they're things that people just discover about themselves. It's mm-hmm. like, just, it's like figuring out that the only kind of ice cream you want to have is mint chocolate chip. Who the fuck right. cares? Right. Right. Like live your life. Enjoy, the, enjoy the mint. Yeah. When it comes to navigating those sorts of, those sorts of conversations with maybe a new partner or potential partner, do you encourage people to kind of um, just come out of the gate asking people, hey, what are your kinks? What are your fetishes? Um, I, I I feel like I've seen stories where it's like, oh, I, I realized a few months in that he was into this or she was into this. And I was like, whoa, I don't know if I'm comfortable or, oh my God, this is awesome. Never tried it. Love it. Is that a thing that we can kind of lead with when we're going on these these first dates, second dates, maybe considering a new sexual relationship with a partner? Or do you suggest easing into it? I mean, when it comes, if it's something that's really, I think when it comes to sexuality, it's best to be open about it no matter what. Uh, I do think that there is an element of understanding that you may have a fetish or a kink when we live inside of a very like heteronormative vanilla world. And so you explaining, it's almost like a, 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 an issue of consent because if you're explain, if you tell somebody you're re- you really want them to like wear like, say you have like a headphone fetish and like you need somebody to wear headphones while you have sex with them. They may, may consent to that because it's not like that hard to put headphones on, right. but they don't know if, the, if you don't know how to explain to them what it is about that, about it that gets you off. You're basically asking them to consent to something that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So then we get into sort of this moral quagmire of like, can you really consent to something you haven't, that someone has not fully explained to you? Mm. Wait, can you, I want you to expand on that a little bit because um, when it comes to the issue of consent, obviously an an extremely important one, the most important um, before starting any sort of relationship, but you know, you use the headphones example. So let's stick with that. If I'm really into sex with my headphones on and I want my partner to have it, 
do you truly believe that I'm morally obligated to make sure they fully, and I'm truly asking, I, I, I don't know, but um, to make sure that they understand exactly why it is important to me or sexually gets me off before they do it? Or is it okay? Are there sh shades of gray, forgive the pun, um, to, to um, how do I say this? Shades of gray to consent where, you know, we could be engaging in the sexual act and because no one's harmed in it or feels uncomfortable, they may not totally know why it's getting me off, but they're down to do it. That is that okay to you? Or do you feel that it should be completely understood first? Like a lot of people have fetishes that they don't understand. Like you mm. might be asking your uh, partner to put headphones on and you're not entirely sure what it is, but you know that you, they, that the headphones is a fetish for you. But just having a conversation, not just being like, here, put these head. I think it, you, there, here is where the line is being like, will you wear these headphones during sex? And they say yes, but you haven't been like, this is a, this is a thing I like during sex because it's like a fetish I have. Mm -hmm. Then it, I think you start to get into later down the line, they are going to start to, they may start to feel uncomfortable because you haven't fully expressed it. Yeah. And I think if it's going to be something you're going to ask your partner to do, I do think you're morally obligated to at least say it's a, it's a sexual fetish I have, or it's like a, it's a kink I have. If fetish is like, fetish is a very loaded word. So if you, if you want to be like, my kink is headphones, mm -hmm. it's just my thing. Mm -hmm. then that person will understand that the reason they're putting the headphones on is for sexual gratification. Not, and they won't be like, I mean, I guess I'll put these headphones on. I don't know if sure. that's about like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some people don't even, a lot of people don't even know that fetishes are a thing. So you, you could tell somebody to put headphones on like, would you, would you, will you wear these headphones? And they have no idea why they're even doing it. And then they find out what it was about. And they're mm -hmm. like, ew. Right. I didn't want, I don't want to wear headphones. That's like, yeah. and I bet you maybe, freaked them out about headphones you know we have to just be really careful with each other's like we're quite resilient and also quite we need to be gentle with our psychology and mm -hmm. with each other i love the way you put that um particularly when you say gentle with each other uh i what do you feel about the the phrase even alternative relationships is is there an, a better phrase does that imply that alternative means it's not the norm and will forever stay in this category of not what the quote unquote normal people do i mean i think we i would hope we would hopefully move away from needing to call it an alternative relationship style because it's just a relationship style right. so um Instead of, cause like, I would hope that we would move away from just presumed heteronormativity. It's like, it's so, the, just the idea that somebody has to come out as queer yeah. is, is very strange or has to, to me, I mean, like in a sort of ethical sense, yeah. I know that that's like the culture we live in, but nobody has to come out as straight right. um, or not. And nobody has to come out as, as monogamous. It's like, it's mm -hmm. just sort of presumed. So instead of saying, being like, oh, like, it might be a question you have like, Oh, what kind of relationship style do you have? Mm. Could be something that you ask. It's like the same thing of like, what's your favorite kind of pasta? Mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. it's more, it's deeper than what's your favorite kind of pasta, but not yeah. for some. But right. But yeah, maybe not for some. And to just also normalize it to the point that whatever the answer is to this question, like nothing about someone being like, oh, love Indian food is going to be off putting or, oh, my gosh, what does that tell me about these people? Like that she eats Indian food. You know what I mean? So I, I actually love that you've sort of put it into that frame of mind when it comes to how hopefully eventually we as a society can approach conversations about other people's life choices. 
Right. It's like I had said, like where it would just a really ideal world would be like where there aren't presumed sexual identities. Like you're not assuming monogamy. You're not assuming. I know that I said I assume everybody's like bisexual and non-monogamous, but that's basically that's basically just me joking about subverting yeah. the narrative. Right, and like, right. and I have to check myself when I do that because that's the kind of like that's the bubble I live in because that's yeah. what I'm exposed to. So it's just yeah. sort of an it's a natural thing when that's all you see to assume. Yeah. So as like people move into more alternative, like calling them alternative relationship styles, because that's Mm -hmm. the way people understand them. So for now, I would like to get away from it. But for now, Mm -hmm. it is like, what we are using, as far as people understanding, it's kind of like labels in general, like Mm -hmm. how people use, uh, you know, non binary, or uh, like a gender, like uh, cis female or what or what have you. Um, Those labels can be very limiting and are built out of a patriarchal construct, but they do help people find their, find their other people, like find their communities and find uh, a sense of belonging. One of those communities, um, polyamory, we're going to have in this episode, a a real life thruple, a three person couple (laughs) uh, later in the show who are going to be sharing their journey, their experience um, in polyamory for our listeners. Can you explain exactly what that is? Um, and also di- different ways in which it manifests, like different open relationships versus a committed um, relationship between multiple people. Sure. So there's sort of a there's a bunch of different types. Polyamory usually means like you're you're romantically dating um, and sleeping with uh, multiple people. Okay. Uh, there are there's a, di- a hierarchical structure or a horizontalization, which would mean like there's the primary and a hierarchy there would be like the primary couple and then the third is like like a third person or maybe you have multiple other people but there's a like a main twosome and then there are other relationships that you have that are maybe more serious like or some are casual and that can be like a a structure that you have there's also um and in, in the case of a thruple uh these are three people who are usually in a horizontal structure where all partners are at, at the same level of commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not always monogamous sexually, but usually in a romantic sense, they are uh, like a unit. Committed to each other. Okay. Right. And so, and that, that can be, it's a wonderful, it can be wonderful, but it's also complicated because um, unlike a, but all relationships are complicated. So mm-hmm. that's, that's true. it's not like, Touché. but uh, <laughs> there's there, when you're dealing with uh, two people, it's like there's the relationship with yourself, the relationship the partner has with themselves, and then your relationship. So those are three relationships. If there are three people, it's everybody's relationship with themselves, the relationship with these two, the relationship with the other two, and then the relationship with these two, and then the relationship of the whole. Right. So now you're managing like so many different. You're managing multiple, a lot of, a lot more relationships. So it's not. It's not like difficult to do if you have a lot of, if you use a lot of good communication and you really are committed to making it work, but like, but that's the same with all relationships. So like, right, right. To me, when, when I, I think about it, the only thing that makes me anxious is I can, like, my boyfriend and I try to sort out our communication styles, and it's like, we've been, you know, working on the same things, and we get better, but it's like, whew. So it seems like almost more of it, more of a commitment to me, to where some people think, okay, they're in a thruple, or um, they're living a polyamorous lifestyle, oh, well, that's the easy way out, they're just having fun with whoever, doing whatever. I'm like, no, I think they have to be more effective communicators 
than someone in a monogamous relationship, more emotionally intelligent, because just dealing with two people in a relationship can be exhausting and challenging. I cannot imagine managing more than two sets of emotions. So I think it's impressive. I mean, there's like, there's a common saying in the, in the poly community where it's like people have, uh, where it's 99% talking and 1% sex because people, <laughs> that's what people think that it's like, oh, there's three of you or there's four of you or it's a, or a quad, which would be four yeah. people. Um, or like you're, oh, you have an open relationship. So, Ooh, there's like all this sex happening. Your life is right. wild, but really it's like, it's so much talking, so much managing of each other's emotions and man, making sure everybody's happy all the time. It is like, it is like a a lot it is mm-hmm. it's a lot yeah. I personally couldn't do polyamory because I just don't have the patience right. I admire exactly. people who can I have a lot of thruple and quad friends but like yeah. I would like lose my mind with the yeah. talking it's just so much talking so much talking I know I'm the same way I'm like oh my god do we have to rehash this oh my god do we have to talk about our feelings right now so I would just be the worst person in the thruple the quad they would get rid of me so quick <laughs> because I can't I can't, I can't. I'd be like, you're the sex therapist. Like, why don't you communicate? I'd be like, (laughs) you're like, no. Is it like the the hairstylist who's like always has her hair in a ponytail or the makeup artist who like never has his glam on or his eyebrows done? Because he's like, I'm too busy fixing everyone else's faces or everyone else's hair to. That's actually, I'm I'm always with clients, like, you know, helping them with their relationship issues, like like all day, every day, the idea that I would then be in my personal life. Not that my husband and I don't constantly have to communicate because we do, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but the idea that there would be a third person there who I would also have to manage and and who who would have to, we'd all be managing each other is like, so I'm giving me heart palpitations because that's just like, I just want to like watch Shit's Creek and tune out. Girl, same, same, same. <laughs> One um, other alternative lifestyle, I, I guess, or um, alternative relationship status that um, we're starting to see a, a lot more. Um, it feels like it's in direct response to hookup culture is celibacy or abstinence and hookup culture stronger than ever. And yet studies have shown that more millennials are opting not to have sex until they've met their ideal partner or because simply they don't want to have sex. We've heard of virgins who are waiting for marriage, divorcees who are choosing to abstain, and then individuals, queer and hetero, who are reclaiming their sexuality and deciding to just kind of hold off on that until they explore or spend more time with themselves. Um, We're going to have a woman in this show and this episode also later um, talking about her story when it comes to abstinence and explaining the choices behind that or the reasons behind those choices rather. In your expert opinion, do you think it's healthy psychologically for people to wait until marriage to have sex? I mean, I think that human sex, trying to judge someone's uh, sexuality is just is, is irresponsible. People mm-hmm. decide to ha- wait to have sex or to have sex for all kinds of different reasons. So I would definitely need to, to know more. Um, that being said, I think that you can't really know somebody without knowing who they are sexually. It's such a big part of, like, I wouldn't want, I would never encourage a client to commit to marriage if they hadn't known who someone was sexually. Someone's sexual sexuality is even an asexual person, somebody who doesn't experience sexuality. That is a key component of who they are as a person. Who you are sexually is a part of your personality. It's a part of your life. And so if you don't, uh, we are social relational beings. I encourage most people to have sex as quickly as you can. There's this idea that like sex is like this intimate, like it has so much like social, social pressure put onto it. But I would rather, like, I think people should know 
if you're a, a good lover, if you know how where the clitoris is, if you are a good communicator, what's your, if they know how to set boundaries, you learn so much of what you need to learn about somebody by learning, by having sex with them. Now, if you're a person who is like choosing celibacy because like that's a personal choice you've made, like live your fucking life. Yeah. I think we, we're so judgmental. Like you're either having too much sex, you're having not enough sex, you're having bad sex, good sex, you're, you're a slut, you're not having enough. It's like nobody can right. win. Right. So if you've made the personal choice to be celibate and you're like, I'm doing this and reclaiming my sexuality, I don't want to have sex with people, that is your choice. You. And nobody has the right to tell you that that's wrong. Yep. If you are doing that for yourself and you feel empowered in that, like you do you. I'm curious to know, do you ever feel that, you know, having sex with someone who you're interested in, say you are, so I'll speak for myself, right? I'm heterosexual. I've only ever engaged in monogamous relationships once I'm committed. And I have found that in my personal experience, um, sometimes I, I look at it as putting the cart before the horse sexually, because if I have, which I have, um, and I, it only feels like it's before the horse in hindsight. In the moment, I'm like, yeah, it feels right. So I don't ever regret it. I'm like, that's when I wanted to do it. But I feel like um, we kind of sped past certain conversations or in that maybe that's just a reflection on the person that I was with or dating at, at that time. But it felt like we kind of sped past some of the getting to know you because of this sex happening sooner. Would you say that that's a reflection of a partner who is, you know, no longer willing to um, get to know and discover and uncover because they've gotten that that aspect and therefore not good commentary on diving right into sex or good perspective on it? If, if you, the thing about it is, is like, if you hook up with somebody because it feels like it, it was right in the moment and that, mm -hmm. then, then that person loses interest in you, then mm -hmm. they did you a huge favor because that wasn't mm -hmm. somebody who you, that person was not for you. That says a lot mm -hmm. about their capacity for a relationship. They clearly weren't looking for anything serious. And if somebody mm -hmm. sees sex as transactional like that, then mm -hmm. it's better that you find out right away and then you can move on from it. Mm -hmm. If, if somebody doesn't have the self-awareness to see you as like a fully formed human being deserving of respect, no matter how casual or serious a relationship is, then that that's a huge red flag in itself. And maybe you had a nice fun sexual experience with that person. And it's like, ciao, see you later. Like I have no time for that because somebody who isn't going to treat you with respect, um, after having sex with you is not a person who you want, yeah. not a person who was going to be respectful in a relationship with you, whether you waited or not. Anyway, so true. So true. What about on the opposite end of that spectrum? If someone is deciding, you know what, I want to choose abstinence right now. Um, how do you navigate conversations? You know, you mentioned the fact that you mentioned that you think that, you know, people should know their partner sexually. And I agree, like getting into the idea of a committed relationship, let alone a marriage and not knowing what you're signing up for in that sense sounds terrifying to me. Uh, but for people who decide they don't want to do the physical act, it, I don't mean that it sounds terrifying to not have sex necessarily. I mean to not know that person even mentally or through exchanging communication about um, their sexuality or their ideas around their sexuality. So how do you navigate those sorts of conversations? Is there something that you would recommend someone try when it comes to broaching the subject of, hey, we're not going to technically literally have sex. How do we navigate these conversations around sex, even though we're not engaging in it? Like, what should the questions be asked? Like, be aware of and something that we could all use, everyone could use education on is the fact that we have this very 
bizarre to me it's very bizarre i kind of understand i understand where it comes from because of Mm -hmm. procreation but like we have this hierarchy of sex where it's like sex is penis and vagina and everything else is like not sex but it's like everything is sex like oral sex is sex hand sex is sex nothing is more sex than anything else Mm -hmm. um as long as you're doing everything safely um so kind of doing away with the hierarchy i think would liberate a lot of people because Mm -hmm. i think that there's a lot of pressure around this like P and the V as being like sex and everything else isn't sex. Mm-hmm. But, like if you're engaging in, in, in sexual contact, even masturbation, like you're experiencing sexuality. Like you're not, yeah. you're not like, uh, t- I guess you're technically celibate cause you're by yourself. But mm-hmm. if you're like, it's like, you're not waiting for ma- Waiting for marriage is usually built out of a, a place of shame. It's not usually mm-hmm. built out of a place of like empowerment mm-hmm. because if you think that's that sex it has that much weight, um, it's usually built out of like a, a shameful religious background. That's usually where you'll, you'll get like a waiting for marriage or, uh, a, a lot. And most of it is built out of purity culture. This idea yeah. that having sex makes you dirty, having sex makes you less worthy of marriage. It makes you a less marriage, marriable person. It makes you, it makes you tarnished in some way when yeah. sexuality is, is the same. We, sexuality is not, it is a natural human Thing that humans do, but it is a learned, like your sexual skills are learned. Those are things that you learn at with, you learn communication, you learn your boundaries, you learn what brings you pleasure. You learn what brings your partner pleasure. Every single person's body is different. It is fucking complicated and it takes work. It's not, you can't just drop into sex on your wedding night and like, boom, you're like amazing. It's going to fucking suck. It will be bad. Yeah. You're like, I guarantee that. Um, and what, what kind of like blows my mind sometimes is I, I'm glad you brought up purity culture, right? Because I grew up, I still identify as Christian, but particularly because I grew up in a space where purity culture was very much the thing. And I have since broken out of that. But my um, virginity when I was growing up was so prized. And even moving into college, I was a virgin my freshman year. And I had just been so conditioned to look at myself as a prize, quote unquote, because of my lack of um, sexual experience or even romantic experience. And uh, some of the the men that I was interested in or that maybe dated me were more curious or interested because of that. But in hindsight, it's so like, because like it was less about I'm interested in Zuri and more about I'm interested in this virgin and the possibility of being the one to make her not a virgin anymore, which is so gross when you think about it. Like transactional. First of all, it's this, it's this, it's so dehumanizing yep. for, yep. for t- to place women both, both on this like weird pedestal of being like the gatekeepers of sex and they're so mm-hmm. pure and virginal. Like <laughs> women like sex just as much as men. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones who are multi-orgasmic while y'all are falling asleep. <laughs> so like, don't even <laughs> talk about it. That bullshit. Um, <laughs> like, all right. Um, right. I feel like that there's, there, it's like, being proud of your sexuality doesn't necessarily mean you're having sex with every being a, a sexually well person and being a sexually healthy person doesn't mean you're having sex with every single person that you see. I mean, it could mean mm-hmm. that if that's mm-hmm. what you want to do, you fucking do your thing. Mm-hmm. Being an empowered sexual person means having sex you want to have on your terms and mm-hmm. being a more being a sexually grounded person who's sexually well is somebody who knows that their worth is not built out of like how many sexual partners they have this whole, mm-hmm. the whole idea of virginity itself is built out of purity culture. It's absolute bullshit. I call it your sexual debut. Oh, uh, love a debut. Of sexual contact <laughs> and it should be celebrated. It's yeah. exciting. It's like, yeah. wow, you've become a sexual person. How exciting for you. How wonderful. Right. And right. having 
open conversations with young kids, like from like we have basically, I think we should follow the script of the Netherlands where they start having open conversations about sex, consent, and using proper names for genitals, just Mm -hmm. not shrouding sex and shame from a very young age, because it's a very natural human thing. The thing about sex and the thing about purity culture, it's like sex only is shameful because we decided it was shameful. Sex is not inherently bad. It is not a shameful thing. Things only have meaning when we decide they do. The minute yeah. we all are like, sex is a normal, we see, you see it in the Netherlands. They're like, sex mm-hmm. is normal. They have the lowest STI rates, the lowest pregnancy rates. Yeah. I love that you bring up the Netherlands. I, I have an ex who's from the Netherlands. And so I, as I got to know uh, his Dutch parents and we had conversations around sex and it blew my mind how open they were. It fascinated me uh, talking about sex with us, talking about our sex, talking about their sex, kind of jokingly tongue in cheek. But I was like, oh, I, I was mortified based on what I, how I knew it would never happen back home for me, like in, in my family. And yet also loved it because, you know, we would talk about conversations about, well, when did you guys start having sex? And when, when did you start talking to your child about sex? And they're like 12, 13. And do you need condoms? Are you going out with your girlfriend? And I was like, what the hell is going on in Holland? But also kind of loving it because it, People are going to do what they're going to, what they want to do. Kids are going to do what they want to do. Te- teens are going to do what they want to do. They're hiding sex from kids and no amount yeah. of rising virginity has ever stopped anyone from fucking. From doing ever. anything. It is never in the ever. history of human kind has that right. ever fucking worked. So why not facilitate open communication? teach young people how to protect themselves and do it in a way that empowers them instead of shaming them out of a thing that they're still going to do and then carry the burden of that shame into these sexual experiences that will inevitably happen. Everyone's going to fuck eventually. The only thing that giving people information about sexuality does is increase their awareness and makes them safer. No hiding information. The only thing hiding information does is increase pregnancy risk, increase the spread of STIs, increase shame and like and and make it impossible to have conversations around something that is as normal to the human experience as eating or sleeping. And once we normalize sexuality that way and such a equalized level, like it the sh- the shame goes away by itself because we can give thing give sex any meaning we choose. And yeah. Just showing just looking at the way people talk about sex and how natural it is, it's like everybody everybody has sex. So we should right. be embracing it. <laughs> right, exactly. Here, here. Um, oh my gosh, I feel like I have a thousand more questions to ask you. I'm literally texting my producer right now, like I need five minutes before I can hop on the next call because I want to do a couple of ask a sex therapist questions. Uh, but before that, um, I just want you to clarify because I think I've made the mistake of using it interchangeably a little bit during this conversation, certainly in real life. Abstinence and celibacy, two different things. Can you explain? Abstinence and celibacy are a cel- abstinence and celibacy are the same. Um, okay, okay. There's a difference between um, uh, abstinence usually denotes waiting to have sex until marriage. Celibacy is usually more of like a lifestyle decision that doesn't have marriage or commitment necessarily on the table. Abstinence mm. is, is more associated with religion. Okay, got it. Sounds good. But technically, so I could be celibate. I'm, well, what made me ask this is you talked about the fact that solo sex means technically you're experiencing sexuality. Um, is it safe to say that you could be masturbating and still technically celibate or the fact that you're enjoying sexual activity so at all? If, if you are abstinent 
um, because of the, the implications that you're, you know, you're trying to remain pure, not that honestly, and people who are say that who are abstinent, like a lot of, most of those people are masturbating. They just don't want to talk about it. Right. Right. They're very like shameful. It's like shameful. But if you're celibate, it just means you're not having sex with other people. So you could be having, you could be masturbating and consider yourself celibate. Some people would say that that doesn't make you celibate, but again, like, you know, all of these terms are very nuanced. Um, Abstinence would mean that you're not having sexual contact of basically any kind uh, Got it. because you're saving yourself specifically okay. in the V sex. Okay. Cause again, like nuance. Okay. Got it. Got it. It's like okay. a lot of, a lot of uh, people who are Christian will, will have anal sex and then say that they are still virgins because they didn't have it. That and I am like, hell no. Like I, I look, I've had friends who've done it. Like, yeah, we've done everything but the P of the V. Like we're in the butt, we're doing this. I'm sucking on this. And I'm like, what world are you living in? Like what type of virgin is not the way that the vast majority of clitoris owners have orgasms so i feel like we have this like big expectation of how amazing it's gonna be and then like you have it you're like wait really yeah that was it that's 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 what i waited for awesome wow they're like i guess that was fine (laughs) yeah i guess oh my gosh first time i had sex like i I pee in the v sex i was like i don't think i want to do that one again no it was that just like lackluster just I was, it was like Whatever. three humps, like with a, like a three dry humps on like a, a friend's bed at like a party. And I remember just being like, I went home and cried my eyes out. Cause I was like, oh, I hate sex. Gigi. Oh no. <laughs> Did you grow up, um, in it, in a space where you felt like there was open communication around it? Or was it that you kind of went into this blind, like so many of us? Well, you see, my mom was very, like, she's very like sex positive. But she also had she had a very militant Catholic mother. So she accidentally had a lot of mixed messages, I should say, very inconsistent. And she very much believed that because that's what she grew up with. And this is only, you know, taking away the hierarchy of P and the V sex. It's only very a very recent phenomenon um, for people of our generation. So for her, she was like, oh, P, like, like sex, meaning intercourse is like it's okay as as long as it's with somebody who you love and care about so like i basically had pip in the v sex had no she didn't t- tell me anything else about sex that was basically what i okay. just thought it was, that was it. and so i walked away from that experience like holy shit i don't like sex i am never wow. i was like i don't think i'm ever gonna do that again and then like i and i was like masturbating like crazy not even yeah. connecting that the two things were like related Inter- right, right. Oh my god! So much pleasure with this like vibrating toothbrush, but like <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> We've all had a vibrating toothbrush moment. Girl, I had a, a shower head moment. Yeah, I had a vibrating toothbrush. <laughs> the shower head changed my life. I was oh, like, yeah. "What is this? Ooh, am I late to the party? I don't know." And you're like, "Oh, oh." <laughs> right that first time like the awkward contortion that i've have found myself in trying to get like, that this is just like a convenient way for me to shave my legs i know um, exactly oh yeah so, you know if we just this have about sex just be like yeah it's normal then like that's normal that that feels good it's like that's not yeah. behavior like it's like you know that's pr- like things we do in private and, like it's totally normal right. and you're fine and it's right. there's nothing to be ashamed about everybody does that Right, right, right. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Um, I feel so seen right now. Okay, one question that we have. Uh, we all know about the infamous G-spot. Do we have any other spots that we can use to maximize our pleasure? Um, sure. Okay, so there are a ton of erogenous zones. First of all, the G-spot is actually part of the clitoris. Other sexually erogenous zones. The biggest one um, is are the nipples. Um, so we have uh, our 
our brain and our genitals talk to each other through the spinal cord. And like uh, they have sent good messages and bad messages back and forth. So if you're, ha- you're turned on in your mind, your genitals get turned on, then your genitals tell your brain you're turned on and it starts a nice cycle. Um, okay. with the nip- So this is called the genital cortex, that part of your brain that lights up when your genitals are being stimulated. And it can be lit up by erotic imagery, by anything that makes you feel sexually aroused. Okay. Um, okay. The nipples are... Like con- for whatever reason, the nerve endings in the nipples are connected to the genital cortex. So you can stimulate the nipples and the part of the brain that registers sexual sexual touching will just will light up. And so people can actually have, not everybody, this is not possible for everybody, no, no orgasm is better than any other, but there are people who can have their nipples stimulated and fully have an orgasm just from that. Oh my gosh, I wish, I wish. Okay, so the nipples. And it- so we've got the nipples. What is there maybe one other zone to think about? I always hear about the prostate with guys, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I completely left the dudes out of it. Um, <laughs> You're like, oh, them. <laughs> the prostate is like, is this walnut shaped gland. Like, honestly, L fucking L that, G- that Jesus made being gay uh, a sin and then put the male G spot oh. up a guy's butt. That's like the big, that's the biggest lull in history, to be honest. Oh my gosh. Um, It's this walnut shaped gland and we're not entirely certain why it is that it feels so good to be stimulated, but it feels so Mm -hmm. fucking good. Like there are, it's like, like it can increase orgasm in male body people up to 33%. And there are guys who get so into anal play that they, it it becomes like almost like addictive they're like i just yeah. like i love it so much it's like i and now now oh no maybe it's a fetish now because they're like i was just about to say dare i say fetish prostate like stimulated uh-huh. it feels so good right 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 okay okay we got a few zones um last question we're still quarantining you know we're in different phases of socially distanced and, and particularly for folks who are out here dating or trying to make new connections um if you're single and mingling if you're trying to you know get your sexy on, but you maybe don't want to be out in these streets, potentially catching an infectious um, uh, virus. Uh, What can you do to up your phone sex game? Because is there anything you recommend when it comes to audio or FaceTime without feeling awkward? I think a lot of people are interested in it. um, But just chatting on the phone with someone you're still getting to know can be awkward, let alone phone sex. Any keys or tips to pulling it off in a way that actually feels sexy and not only silly because sometimes I feel like silly is fun too I mean first of all I think just embracing the fact that it is going to be kind of awkward and silly is like a really big key component of it that's the thing about sex Uh in general we try to make it this like really serious like sexy thing when sex is fucking weird and like it can be so awkward and funny and like there people bodies make strange sounds and it's like it can be a very strange thing so Mm -hmm. like kind of just like neutral and being like, I know this might be awkward, but like, would you want to do some like FaceTime sex? And like, sorry if it's awkward. Like that yeah. immediately like diffuses it. Um, like the, right. the, the general tension around it. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. sure that before you have video sex or phone sex that you ask someone if they'd be interested in doing that because there are, you still have to ask for consent. Um, right. And you want to be sure that everybody's on board with uh, with the sexting or the FaceTime sex before you, you do anything that might be crossing somebody's boundaries. So open communication is a good thing. Also like dress and like set up your space. Like do the sexy fairy lights and wear the hot little lingerie outfit that makes you feel good. Or if it's like a white t-shirt, you just want to be naked, whatever, Mm -hmm. like get your sex toys out. Like, like make yourself feel sexy so that it's like a sexy environment because make it feel, you make it as true to real life as possible. Right. Right. Um, Right. Be sure to set up your camera angle. 
Wait. Your camera is set up in a way that makes you feel really hot. And so they get good view, but you also feel right. comfortable. Because not everybody, like, I'm the first person to be, like, just, like, full frontal. <laughs> but, like, I know that I am like, not. I'm, like, curating the angle so perfectly. And then that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> and, like, that's, and that's, like, that's totally fine. Like, not everybody is a sex therapist is going to be, like, here's my yeah. <laughs> It's, like, you got to, like, you got to be, got to, like, the level what's comfortable levels you. this. And what's comfortable for right, the right. And also just remember, right. it's okay. probably going to be funny and weird. <laughs> and just let it happen. I know I said that was the last question, but I promise this is the last one. Super fast, because it's a really important one. What is a good way to bring up uh, the topic of sexual health for the first time with a new partner, particularly testing when it comes to STIs? Sure. I mean, the... I recommend that if you're having sex with multiple people that you should be have you should be getting regularly tested for STIs at least every 6 months, preferably um every 2 to 3. There's really convenient ways you can do it just by you can do at-home testing kits, you can order them online. There's there's a lot of places that do free HIV testing now where you can just have a test mailed. Um so it's it's really not that it's not super inconvenient. I know it's difficult with COVID, but also just being like very transparent because a ton of people have, like most people have some form of HPV at some point in their lives. Most people don't know they have it. 90% of people who have herpes type two will never show symptoms and don't know they have it. It is not on a regular STI panel. So there's just like certain things about STIs in general that we just need to understand. Um, And just being really open and honest about like, when was your last test? And to be very straightforward, when was the last time you were tested for STIs? So you mean just come straight out of the gate, just ask plainly. Transparency is key. There's nothing wrong. It's like it's with anything else. It's like just because the reason we're so weird about STI testing is because we're so like shamed around sex. Meanwhile, it's like, when was your last COVID test? Like nobody gives a fuck when you ask right. that. But because really it's sex, that must be bad. Right, right. Okay. Honestly, when you say it like that, it makes me be like, we're all ridiculous. Like, of course, it shouldn't be that hard. And it's not our fault that society makes it feel that weird and hard. If I was with a new sexual partner and they didn't ask or question my STI status, I would be like, oh, that's a person who doesn't care about their sexual health. That's not, that's a red flag. Right. We should really, and STIs are so common. We need to remove the stigma around them as well. There's only a handful of STIs, like obviously HIV and certain forms of HPV can be very dangerous, but most of, most STIs are either easily treatable or easily curable. For instance, we have so much hatred for the herpes virus. It's so benign. It doesn't really do anything to you other than this like skin rash. It's like having, it's like getting vagina acne are getting penis acne and we have, but, but because it's sex related, we're like so freaked out People by are it. Like, oh my God. And nobody says okay. shit about a cold sore. Meanwhile, that's also herpes. Right. right, 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 right. Way to lay down the law. Let us know what it is, Gigi. I appreciate your time. If people want to follow you, keep the conversation going, uh, read your book, all of the things, where can they go? My website, which is MissGigiAngle.com. I also have a newsletter called The G Spot, which you can find on my website as well. And on Instagram and Twitter, I am Gigi Angle. So come follow me and let's be friends. Okay, thank you so much, Gigi. I will be subscribing to that newsletter as soon as we wrap up this call. I can't wait to get my my G-spot into the inbox every week. Is it a weekly newsletter? 
Yeah, it comes out every single Monday. I'm like religious about it. Nice, nice. Same, same as Hot Happy Mess Mondays. I can't wait for the Monday that this episode goes live. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you and your expertise. Absolutely. I'm so excited to share this. It's so fun. Thank you again, Gigi, so much for that conversation. And don't forget, you can pick up her new book, All the Effing Mistakes, available now. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth... Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Now, moving into this next segment, it's one of our signature hot, happy mess segments, the real woman, real story segment. We all know hookup culture is stronger than ever. And yet studies have shown that more millennials are opting not to have sex until they've met their ideal partner or because simply they don't want to have sex. That is 
plenty of reason enough. <laughs> We've also heard of, you know, virgins who are waiting for marriage or divorcees who are choosing to abstain and then individuals, queer and hetero, who are reclaiming their sexuality. In 2021, waiting to have sex amidst a hookup culture can definitely feel like an alternative or non-traditional lifestyle. Sex is promoted nonstop, and as with anything that doesn't fit in mainstream society, people can scoff at traditional or non-traditional lifestyles, including this one. And that's why I'm so grateful that my next guest is sharing her story, her perspective, her beautiful journey with us. So now I am joined by an amazing woman who goes by the nickname of KK, who is a 28-year-old virgin who's waiting until marriage before she loses her virginity. KK is the founder and CEO of KK's Fashion and the author of the nonfiction book, Bully Friends. To learn more about her, you can check out our website, KK's Way. Here's KK. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, honestly, let's just kind of set the scene for our listeners. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're 28. You're a born again Christian. You were saved at a young age. Uh, just kind of set the scene for us. Uh, how did you get to where you are, where you've made this choice to save yourself, to save your virginity for your future husband? Okay, so um, like you said, I got saved at an early age. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was either late elementary school or early middle school. Um, and, you know, honestly, waiting till marriage was something that was expected of me initially. Like it was something that the church pushed a lot. You know, they would tell you like, don't have sex till you're married. You know, don't do this, don't do this. And so honestly, it was just kind of like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. However, you know, when I started college at Michigan State University, I told myself, you know what, I really want to wait because it's something I want to do. You know, like I I want this to be my choice. And I started getting deeper into my faith and I kind of just went on this journey to mental and emotional wholeness when I graduated high school. And I realized, you know, waiting to marriage is best for me because I'm I'm very emotional and I just knew that... um, it would just be the best decision for me um, to wait, you know. You say emotional when, when, and we all are obviously to varying degrees. But what do you mean by yeah. that when you say emotional? Is it that you felt that you know sexual connection before marriage might get you too emotionally invested in a way that you didn't want to be before you tied the knot? I think you really hit the nail on the head. I'm I'm a very sensitive person, so. I think I'm an empath, to mm-hmm. be honest okay, with you. Yeah. Um, I'm super sensitive. And so I just knew that for me, um, I, you know, I couldn't just randomly hook up with anybody. I'm just, I would get way too attached. I know that's, it's horrible to say, but I just, I, I knew myself. I was like, you know what? I really, I really just need to wait till I'm married for me. <laughs> that's really the best thing for me. And it was, it was funny because when I actually did it for myself and not just because I was told to do it it just felt really easy because it was something that it was something that was coming from within, not like you need to do this. You need to do that. I think that when people go about it that way, I don't necessarily think that's the healthiest way. It can bring a lot of shame onto somebody. You know, if they don't end up waiting, I just think it's better that it really comes from you. Right. Right. And and I completely agree. You know, this episode we're exploring like completely different when I tell you opposite ends of the spectrum I mean opposite ends of the spectrum (laughs) 
when it comes to lifestyle choices, when it comes mm-hmm. to people's sexuality, some people waiting, some people in polygamous relationships mm-hmm. and, and, and really just respecting everyone's choice. I grew up in a Christian household. Um, I was matriculant of the year. I went to an AME church and, and I was very much a part of um, purity culture was something that affected me. And so I carried my virginity into college. I don't have it anymore, but I carried it into college. And it was something that growing up, I'd been really, um, I hesitate to say the word conditioned, but mm. I had been taught to really value it and prize it. Before you decided to do this for yourself, what was it like growing up in the church? Uh, Did you feel pressure from purity culture? Was it something that you didn't feel pressured by, but just kind of accepted as like par for the course? Talk us through kind of your your experience growing up in the church and how purity culture kind of affected that. So for me... It just made me very scared to do anything. Um, it, it just made me like, okay, you know, I really need to to save myself for marriage. And there was that pressure, you know, from the church to wait. And like I said, that's, you know, like, that's kind of like why I, I waited. And it was interesting because, you know, I, I didn't go to a Christian high school. So it was like, as we get older, you know, people are doing more and more things. And, you know... By senior year of high school, I, I didn't get my first kiss. You know, I was same. like, oh, oh, oh same okay. girl. And just to be I- completely <laughs> honest with you, you know, like, um, I didn't get my first kiss until law school. Mm. You know, so I, I didn't, wow. you know, do that till till even till to law school. You know, it was like I, I really waited a lot, and I was just like, I was like, and I also, can't let's do not it. bury the lead here. Shout out to the fact that you went to law school. You better speak oh, on that law you. degree. I love that. That's amazing. So you you were in law school. Around what age is this? So I started law school at um, age twenty and graduated at age twenty three. So it would be like I want to say twenty one was my first kiss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And I've, I've only kissed one guy, kiss. so. Really? Still? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm, I'm curious to know, is that intentional? Is that, is it really a thing where you're like no physicality or very limited? Or has it just been that, you know, your dating life for whatever reason mm. just hasn't gotten you to that point physically? I, for me, you know, it was, I think that's a great question. I really was intentional about that. As crazy as that sounds, I was like, not only was I waiting till marriage, it was also like, you know, again, being super sensitive and and not wanting to get too attached to someone that, you know, basically, I didn't want to get attached to anybody that I, till I know it's a serious thing. So I was like, you know, I really want to limit physical interaction like that, you know, so that's why I've even, aside from sex, it's, you know, I waited long for that too, you know. Which honestly, to me, makes almost more sense because I'll be honest with you, and I, I'm sp- I speak candidly anyway, but I'm speaking candidly and as someone again who um, grew up in a as a part of um, not just Christian culture but purity culture to a certain extent, and I'm I'm still a Christian, a practicing Christian, mm-hmm. and, and so I say this from a place of respect for uh, my religion, for your religion, for our shared religion. Yeah, um, but it. <laughs> What would always blow my mind is uh, my friends or acquaintances 
who would be like, yeah, I'm saving myself for marriage. But we did this, 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 and this last oh, yeah. night. But then we didn't do that. But then we kind of did that. But then I was like, oh, no, yeah. stop. And, then, and I'm like, wait, hold up. I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> so what has that experience been like for you? Um, I would imagine having friends, you know, uh, family mm-hmm. members who are also, who identify as Christian, who may be waiting also, or who have mm-hmm. waited before uh, they got married. Have you witnessed that? What is your your feeling or, or perspective on on people who, you know, identify as Christian, say they're saving themselves for marriage, but maybe toe the line a little bit, maybe, maybe, you know, blur the line a little bit. <laughs> I, that, that's a tough one, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, how do I say this? I think that, um, everybody definitely has their limits. I really do. I think everyone has their limits. So it just, it it does vary from person to person what you're comfortable doing Mm -hmm. before you're married. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, cause I've met people, I've, I'm friends with someone who really good friends with someone who hasn't kissed anyone yet. They're Mm. really into the purity culture, like heavy into it. How old are they? They are 31. Okay. Yeah, but wow. they're they're really heavy into it. Like I, I remember another girl that I met in college from a, um, she was from one of my uh, college classes, and um, her religion she was Muslim, and she had also never kissed anyone too. Um, mm-hmm. So I've met people from de- different faiths that are mm-hmm. heavy into the purity culture where they've never kissed anyone, and they're not yeah. going to kiss until they're married. And mm-hmm. I, I totally respect that. And I've also met, you know, I've also have other friends that are virgins, but they've done, you know, they've done like oral, you know, yeah. they've, they've yeah. done more. So I definitely, um, I definitely, for me, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that you can never kiss till you're married, mm-hmm. but for me, I, I still wouldn't do like you've said all you know all those other, other things, things before things. you know yeah. um but that's yeah. that's just me you know it's your personal choice yeah of course, yeah absolutely um so you're open though to like kissing not to get all in your business about what you're gonna do in the future but <laughs> you would be open to you know if you're dating someone like kissing is fine that's just yeah, the thing you have okay kissing is fine i think but definitely i wouldn't just you know kiss anyone of course because that's Uh still like a a thing but you know if you're Mm -hmm. hey if you're if you're engaged I I don't see a problem with kissing Mm -hmm. um so I'm not saying that I'm like no kissing till marriage you know Uh no you know I'm saying like yeah that that stuff is fine but of course like when you're getting to the real almost crossing that line I I do Mm -hmm. agree with you on that where it's like Mm -hmm. oh you know (laughs) Um, mm-hmm, for me, it's, mm-hmm. it's, again, I know everyone has their different limits and what, what right. they're, what they're good with. Um, with or, right, right. But you know, that's just for me. When I went into my freshman year at Ohio State, I was a virgin. And I talk about that a little bit in this episode. And I'd only had one kiss when I showed up on campus um, my freshman year. And I'm talking about literally one kiss. Oh, and wow, it had okay. just happened at the end of my senior year. Um, and it was a really interesting experience for me being 
one of very, I think I was the only virgin, honestly, that I knew um, in my close friend group at the time. So my experience was pretty interesting because of that. And I'm curious to know, what was it like for you, not just freshman year, but throughout your collegiate years entirely, when people are experimenting for the first time, a lot of people are drinking for the first time, Mm -hmm. hookup culture now more than ever is such a thing. And it's wild to think, you know, you're, you're a virgin and this could easily be put into the category of alternative lifestyle the mm-hmm. same way someone who identifies as a polygamist or, you know, something else might be alternative. Um, how was that for you? So for me, I would say like it started getting hard in college just because the number of virgins just started dropping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like you just start out with people being virgins and then it just, it just starts dropping. So it's like you're, you're, you have less people that you can identify in that way, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're like the only one that's a virgin um, Mm -hmm. out of your friend group or just people, you know, and that's when I was like, you know what? I really need to decide if I want to wait you know, or if I want to not wait. And I, that's when I, like I said earlier, kind of got deeper into my faith and realized, you know what, I'm going to, I want to do this for me. And once I, Mm -hmm. once I, I said that it was like, I I didn't feel that pressure, but I did feel pressure in college. Um, Mm. You know, kind of like the middle of, of my college year years, like my second year, I did three years in college, but so my second year, I would say that's when I really felt the pressure and felt kind of alone in that. But when I went to law school, it was super easy because I, you know, I had already told myself, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And if someone doesn't respect it, you know, hey, they don't have to, not everyone's going to respect what you do. And you just have to stand, stand tall on what you want to do. Good for you. And also law school. I just feel like, when would you have the time anyway? All the studying in the bush. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the funny thing is also keeping it completely hundred. Like Mm -hmm. I went to law school in like a really small town. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I went to law school in like Detroit or Mm -hmm. New York City where there's so many different people. So, I mean, you don't want to be hooking up with someone and then like... (laughs) (laughs) See him the next day. See him the next day. You know what I'm saying? Like, so... I mean, that was even another like incentive to to not do that. Obviously, yeah. you know, I was doing doing it for my you know my my reasons, my religious reasons, like my personal mm-hmm. convictions. But I was mm-hmm. like, uh, no, <laughs> that's too messy. Right, right. Like, wouldn't do it even if I could. Like, not I know, gonna, right? <laughs> not gonna blur those lines. Um, how has it been for you, especially now in your late twenties, navigating dating? When you talk to guys and you say, I mean, do you say, "Hey, I'm a virgin"? When do you decide to broach that subject? If you ever do, um, will you only date people who are also virgins or who are currently abstinent? You know what? For me, I don't have to date somebody who's a virgin. Okay. You know, if you're not a virgin, cool. You know, it's just, you know, someone that is willing to respect, you know, us waiting together till we get married. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you could have had sex with thousands of people before. If you choose to, you know, to wait with me, I respect that. I'm not going to look at your history or anything like that and, okay. and yeah. judge, you know. And then how do you bring it up on, on, or first of all, are you actively dating? Do you actively date or are you kind of like, when it happens, it'll happen, but I'm not. You know what? The funny thing is that I definitely, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not like actively talking to anyone right now, mm-hmm. but 
you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm praying, you know, I'm, I'm praying it okay. in there, you know, I'll put it that way. Having Jesus that Sierra prayer. I'm a, I, I will receive <laughs> if you just want to yeah, like, gates. <laughs> How is it for you dating or maybe just even being open to guys like when it comes to the apps and stuff like that like I I hate to be like typical and be like Christian mingle but like where do you (laughs) um kind of keep your eyes most open or Mm -hmm. is that a struggle for you or are you like it's so hard to find the type of guy I'm looking for particularly in a secular world Ooh, you know, I, I am on some, you know, I did some dating sites, like, I think it's pronounced Zeus (laughs) or something like that. So, you know, I, I did try that out a little bit. Um, and you know, a lot of people reach out on there, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of picky to be honest with you. (laughs) Uh, Hold on now, KK. We got to talk about this. (laughs) Kind of picky. How picky are we talking? How long is your prayer compared to Sierra's? Like, I mean, it's not, it's not like crazy. Honestly, okay. I'm kind of, I'm kind of messing around here, but mm-hmm. I, I honestly, like when I pray for my husband, I pray that I have the husband that God handpicked for me. Mm. It's actually shorter than Sierra's. It's not mm. like mm-hmm. crazy. Cause like, I feel like sometimes we don't even know what we want. And I feel like honestly, at the end of the day, God ultimately, and this is me speaking from a, a Christian point of view, like I really do believe that God has a handpicked a person, special person for everyone in this world. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, sometimes we want something, but that's not what we need. And I feel like, hey, if I just pray like, hey, God, just give me the guy that you handpicked for me. We're, I'm good, you know, because wow. he, he knows better than me. That's how yeah. I feel. So you truly are saying thy will be done. That's yes. what you're mm-hmm. praying for, that the man that is for you is the one that shows up. Exactly. Wow. That's that's beautiful. Oh, I'm, thank you. I'm always like, thy will be done. However, if you could just consider, <laughs> God, please. Um, but truly, I do, I do respect that. And that takes a lot of um, grace and you know, regardless of how someone identifies, whether they're Christian, whether, you know, maybe they're non-denominational, they're Baptist or whatever, whatever your religion or lack thereof, um, letting go of attachment is something that is so important to the human condition, in my opinion, when it comes to peace um, in the middle of the unknown. And particularly as a part of my Christian faith, I'm realizing there's so much overlap between um, letting go and letting God, right? As Mm -hmm. we know it to be traditionally. And what some other people might just say, just let go and let the universe provide Mm -hmm. or let go of attachments. And fundamentally, it is the same thing to me, in my opinion. And it's so hard to let go of our ideas about what our life is supposed to look like, what our partner is supposed to look like, what our job is supposed to look like. And so to for you to be able to say, you know, God, your will be done. That is my prayer. That is the thing that I want. And put a period at the end of that, I think takes a lot of um, self-discipline and control and faith, a lot of faith. And I respect it. Um, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, so you don't have a long list. You, you truly are open to to God and what he will bring your way. Um, but if the listeners just happen to have, you know, okay. a couple of singles in the mix, what would you throw out as some on the short list of what it would be nice if he had? We're not, no requirements, but what would be nice? Ooh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I want a man that really, that really has a good heart 
like a heart after God and a heart that will love me like God loves the church, as they say, you know, th- that man that will really, you know, that's real caring, real sensitive, you know, real romantic. Um, I definitely like that. I also like a tall guy. Okay. Ooh, how tall? How tall? How tall are you? I am almost five seven. I'm like five six three quarters. So let's Oops, she rounded up, y'all. I could tell she was like, <laughs> <laughs> she looked up at the ceiling. She was like, I'm gonna go up instead of down. I'm yeah. five six and three quarters, literally, and I always round up. I'm five I seven. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know, six feet above won't be bad. You know, like okay, okay, so tall. You know that that isn't. You know that never hurt. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a good build. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. He could be a little bigger too, you know, just not super tiny, you know. Oh, but, you a know, little bigger. bigger. What does that mean? Or, or muscle? A little more cushion for the. Well, I don't want to say cushion for the cushion <laughs> in the, the version segment. Oh my gosh, sorry. <laughs> the mess in my hot happy mess is coming out right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it's cool. I mean, <laughs> but, um, you know, I a, a bigger guy, like, um, muscular is good, or even, you know, not even muscular, but just a little. I'm trying to think of somebody who... Little, um, you ooh, know what? There's a, ooh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I know who. Like a Vince Vaughn looking kind of guy. Tall. Okay. Ooh. Yes. Just like... um, What is it called? Like just big and tall energy. Yes. Like I don't know what that build is called <laughs> right now. It's escaping me. But Vince Vaughn. Vince, Vince Vaughn. Vaughn. Okay. Yeah, I like you. him. Like he's okay. real tall. Like 6'5". Like a little burly. A little stocky. Just a little <laughs> yeah, weight on him. Or like... Um, he what's that guy? Blake, Sh- Blake Shelton. Okay. Okay. Like right. that. Blake That's is, perfect. Is Blake big and tall? I've He's just big and tall. To this man a few times. How tall is Blake? Every time I interview, He's him, like he's over six down, foot. So I never really get it. Okay. Okay. Six foot. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, ladies, hi, happy mess gang. Get to work. All right. If we have any eligible <laughs> bachelors to slide into KK's DMs, you know, hook a sister up. Um, Twenty eight years. She she was worth the wait. So clearly, she deserves her king. Okay, All right. Preach. She's been patient. Um. <laughs> Before I let you go, um, in all seriousness, the commitment that you have to your decision is impressive, but that doesn't make it easy. And yeah, I I would love if you could just, one, tell me, has it ever been difficult? Have you ever been tempted? And also, I I ask that as a way to be transparent and open to people who listen, who might be going through a similar journey or considering a similar lifestyle choice. And I think it's important not to romanticize it because it's hard sometimes, you know, like when I was a virgin and actively Mm. committed to remaining one, it was hard. Mm. I am a sexual being. I get horny. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was difficult, (laughs) but it was still an active choice. So is it, is it the same for you? Has it been different? Do you still struggle with that desire? We are sexual beings innately. God made us in that way. It's just a matter of controlling that and what it's for, particularly in your, in your lifestyle choices. So I think that's a great question. I would say that it can get hard when you're actually like into somebody, like you're, you're actually into someone, you have that crush or you're dating, you know, you're engaged. I feel like that's when it's actually hard. So for me right now, it's, it's not hard, but I know that by God's grace, very soon when that King comes Mm -hmm. in, you know, (laughs) um, I, I, I realize it's going to be hard because at that point, you know, it's, it, Here's the thing. It's easy to say that it's easy when there's no one in your life that you're interested in. But when you're really attracted to someone, that's when it, it, you have to like actively be like, oh, okay. Right. Take <sighs> you the know, cold we got to pray. 
<laughs> go take a shower. Right? Exactly. And yes. I also think it's harder for people that have had sex before who are choosing to, to become celibate. Cause I know people that, you know, they had sex and they're like, you know what, I'm going to wait till marriage now. And I think that's when it's really hard because you've experienced sex before. So I'm definitely aware that since I have never had sex, it's not, it, it's, it's easier to, to not want to do it because you've never done it before. So I, I definitely acknowledge that. Um, so yes, I, I'm, I'm kind of bracing myself for when, by God's grace, you know, that husband comes in my life and, you know, I'm going to be real attracted to him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll talk then. Yes, we're going to have to do a follow-up episode where we're like, so she's a wife now. How are we feeling? How is it? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, your your journey is is really special and unique, obviously, and I appreciate you sharing it with our audience. Thank you. Um, if there were just any parting words that you could share, whether it's about um, your lifestyle choices, your choice to, um, you know, abstain until you're married, uh, to anyone maybe considering this sort of lifestyle choice, or even to someone who doesn't understand it and is like, I don't get it, doesn't make sense to me, whatever. I just want to open up the floor to you to kind of speak your piece. Well, you know, I'll say this to people that are really wanting to wait, whether you've never had sex or whether you've had sex and you're choosing to be celibate, um, you're worth the wait. So if you want to wait, just know that you are amazing and you're worth the wait. So if someone doesn't want to wait for you and they get offended that you are telling them, hey, I want to wait, they're not for you. And what I liked about the idea of waiting is that I knew that if someone refused to stay with me because I wasn't sleeping with them, I'm like, it kind of just weeded people out for me. And that kind of just jumps back to just keep that in mind that most people that are waiting, they, they want just that one guy, one girl, you know, to, to spend their life with, right? You're not going to have to marry everyone. It's just that one. So if they would, if they don't want to wait, they're not for you. So, so just stand true in your beliefs and just know that at the end of the day, you want to be doing it for you and make sure that's something that you truly want to do. And you'll find someone that will respect that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So well said, KK, if people want to follow you, keep up with you, uh, maybe chat with you, slide in the DMs. If we got some single men here, um, where can they find you? Where can they keep up? My Instagram is kksway92. And so follow me on there. Also, my website is kksway.com. That's spelled K-A-Y-K-Y-S-W-A-Y.com. And you can learn more about me and kind of follow me there and feel free to send me an email if you want to talk. I'm, I love talking to people. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. KK, thank you so much for sharing your story with our audience. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Go Bucks still, but you're, you're a pretty, you're a pretty cool Michiganer. I gotta say. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is a pleasure speaking to you and thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much again to KK for sharing her amazing journey. Girl, we on the lookout for you, sis. All right. If y'all know any eligible bachelors, Go ahead and find KK on the gram and slide in the DMs. Hook her up, okay? Hook her up.
State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbroke, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Next up, I'm really excited about this conversation, y'all. They were so much fun, such positive, good vibes and good energy. The trifecta love. Cassandra, Carly, and Paolo are a polyamorous throuple sharing their authentic selves and relationship with the world in hopes of shedding light on love and all of its different forms. Their goal is to open up the question and prove that there are different types of love. Just because it's different or unique doesn't mean it's anything less than what it is. They hope to keep spreading love and understanding with the world. Here they are. First of all, just thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me to talk a little bit about your relationship and your story. Um, let's kick things off with Pow to start off. When you describe yourself to, to you know, people you're meeting or explaining your relationship dynamic, um, thruple, uh, polyamorous, how would you identify yourselves? How do you like to be referred to when it comes to the three of you in your relationship? I typically use poly, but I mean, poly. it depends. I mean, if, if I feel comfortable uh, with the other, because it's also such an unconventional relationship that sometimes, you know, I, it just depends on where the conversation goes. If, if that's something I, I want to let people know, you know what I mean? Right. But uh, for right. the most part, I use poly. And for those who, you know, are new to this lifestyle or learning the differences, I think it's really important to differentiate between polygamists and those who are, who are polyamorous. Because I'll be honest, I did not know the difference before yeah. this year. And those are two very different things once I realized the difference. So um, whoever wants to take it, but can you just break down for us, what's the difference between polyamorous and polygamist? Yeah, polygamy is when um, there is a... Um, man or a woman who has two completely separate, you know, two or more completely separate, um, re 
relationships. So that's when the term, you know, sister wives, which I'm sure is a very commonly heard word. I'm sure you've heard of that word. So that's what um, polygamy pertains to, right? Whereas polyamory is more um, what we have, where all of the parties are involved, right? Mm-hmm. So all, mm-hmm. we're all um, in a ro- romantic relationship. So that's what kind of makes it different. It's, right, right. It's, it's, it's a very different dynamic, yeah. Got it. Oh, 100%, <laughs> night and day. Once I realized, I was like, oh, yeah, those are two very different things, very different yeah. things. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, now, before we get into, um, you know, Carly, when you came into the fold and joined this relationship, let's take it all the way back to uh, Cassandra and Powell. You've been married for over seven years, correct? Yeah, we are going on nine years next month. Wow. Almost a decade. Oh, yeah. my God. That is amazing. Congratulations. Um, when you first started out in your relationship, um, was it always the intention to be in a polyamorous relationship? How did the two of you start your, your romantic connection? Yeah. So, I mean, when we first got together, there was absolutely no thought of polyamory. We didn't even know the word existed yeah. or that type of relationship of love existed. Um, we just, we just thought it would be us two all the way, all the way through. Um, and I think that we would joke around, um, with an open relationship. <laughs> yeah, we got to, we got to a point where like, we just, we were so comfortable with each other and we were comfortable with some of the things that we were sharing with each other that yeah. we would just play around very lightly, kind of like, you know, Joking. possibly fantasizing with maybe another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. you have to understand like our dynamic is... Like, he's my best friend, and, and she is my best friend, and, you know, and at, at that yeah. time, it was just us two, and we were very, like, right, like, people would laugh, because when I'd be like, oh, this is my husband, hey, baby, like, we would kiss and, like, dab each other up, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's just, he's like, no, he's my best friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we started out kind of, like, joking, and then eventually, um, you know, we like, opened up the actual conversation, mm-hmm. and it led us to having honest and open and transparent um conversations got it um and we wanted to we wanted to get to a point where you know i wanted to know everything that was going on in his mind where he doesn't judge himself and vice versa you know like if i wanted him to know what's going on in my mind and if i'm not judging myself he shouldn't either i shouldn't judge him either yeah so how can we open that up so that's where it started first and those conversations led to um, just other conversations and other possibilities and eventually we began to have an open relationship mm. um, and we did that for about a year and a half close to two okay and then we met Carly okay yeah. and then <laughs> and that's when we were like what are we feeling what is this and then we started looking it up and then we learned the word polyamory wow yeah. oh yeah. that's fascinating yeah. so initially there was about a year and a half or so where it was an open relationship but it wasn't necessarily um, we're thinking about being in a relationship with more than just the two of us at one time exactly Got yeah it. you would have to blame all of this on her <laughs> <laughs> Because it was not something we foresaw. Like it wasn't in, in touching. It was. It was yeah. not that at all. Not on my end either. No, I mean, they're to blame much. I, I'm not putting the blame on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Carly was like, y'all gonna have to put a ring on it because I am not just 
glad to be out here. Um, so at right. what point did, um, you know, you met Carly? I'm assuming at that point it was a part of the open relationship dynamic was one of you uh, maybe like dating her or hanging out with her without the other and then introduce her into the fold or how did it work? We, I mean, I think the best part of, about our story is that we met at the same time. So oh, we cool. met her and she was with her brother at the time. So we met her family like at the same time. Yeah. Um, and there was an instant like connection even with her, her brother. Like it was like, these are like family. It felt like, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, with her, we had an instant chemistry and attraction. Um, and I think that they, they developed an attraction later on. Mm-hmm. I think it was closed off because it was, and this is my husband. And but I was in a relationship at the time you know, also. Yeah. So that's why, as far as, you know, it came when it came to him, that door was just closed at that time. Got yeah. it. Okay. But we hung out as friends, but there was like this undeniable chemistry that we had that was like, it hurt almost, wow. you know, like being around each other and not being able to express what we were feeling because we weren't allowing ourselves to, Wow. Mm-hmm. you know, and then eventually as we all hung out more and more, even with her family, we just like kept hanging out. There was a connection and chemistry that developed between them. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, what's, right. <laughs> what's happening here? No, that's fascinating. So I am so curious to know, Cassandra, from your point of view, um, what was that like for you to, to witness, Ray, like the chemistry building between, you know, your husband at this point and Carly also, were you like just totally into it? Did you feel some type of way at first? And then you're like, nah, I'm more into it than feeling some type of way. What, what was the reaction? Yeah. So, I mean, in the beginning, right. So we had been in open marriage for like almost two years. Yeah. And so I had, a, I had witnessed that before Okay. and it wasn't, it didn't bother me at all. Like that's an easy thing to deal with wow. um, because it's an, it's an attraction it happens and then that's it um but this time it that wasn't it you know what hurt more um or was more challenging was when we were already well into you know being with each other being around each other hanging out with each other and I heard I love you Mm. for the first time you know from him to her I had never heard him say I love you to another woman other than his mom wow you know and sister so that was actually really challenging when I saw you know, it become deeper. Um, mm. But I was also simultaneously feeling the same thing. Right. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like um, a jealousy. It was just like a, wait, mm. am I ready for this? Like, this is a scary territory we have never discussed. Yeah. You know, it was just scary. It was just, you know, unknown. That's all it was, you know. Um, but we obviously overcame that easily right. you know how long ago was that how many years ago that was in 2018 okay so about three ish years now two three years okay so carly from your perspective coming into this situation and this already established dynamic what was it like for you initially you know cassandra was saying you guys are all just hanging out it's platonic um what was going through your mind from your pov and when did you realize wait i, I kind of want more from both of them yeah yeah oh man it was terrifying it was yeah it was really scary you know very confusing um it it was just it was a lot it was everything you know like it also it was exciting but also like you know very scary but um I knew from the jump that there was something 
here, just something like undeniable, you know, it, uh, no matter how hard I tried to stay away from them and like not, not pursue anything, I just couldn't, like I couldn't, I physically, emotionally, mentally, just like could not, could not pull myself away, you know, even though, even though I knew like, this is something, you know, this could totally end up like completely falling apart and now I'm heartbroken by two people you know what I mean like I knew that there was like such a risk in it you know um but I don't know the love was just so strong that I was like I just have I I just have to see what happens like I have to stay true to how I feel and just try it and you know see what happens yeah that was really the only option for me at that point yeah um you know, because it was such a strong feeling. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a wild ride in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) And people thought I was insane too, you know, for entering a marriage. People thought I was crazy. We all thought we were all crazy. We were were really naive. I think I helped out. You were naive in what way? Like just thinking that it would be easily accepted or that it would be easy for you three to figure out how to do this. I think I think it was the fact that we were we weren't like in the in the jump like it was we were just so focused on the now and what was happening yeah. and what we were feeling we we're like in our own little bubble yeah. yeah when we realized that we were all feeling the same thing that's when the naiveness started to you know shed off and we were like holy crap what does this mean yeah what right. is it gonna look like right. what are we gonna hear mm. from people what like just it was scary. But um, yeah. what was interesting about that conversation is that none of us were um, afraid of, like, our relationship with God or, uh, like, just us individually. It was like we were all concerned about society, mm. you know, what people were thinking. And then I was like, damn, so yeah. if we grew up in a society where this was accepted, would we even have these fears? And that's when we realized that the fear was fake because it was just mm. conditioned. And then, and then it was like, well, let's just try it then. Yeah. 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 And uh, how was it in the beginning, the trying it, like how much navigating emotions, how many uncomfortable conversations? Cause just two people trying to figure it out is enough, right? Like I get exhausted just trying to like get through one argument with my boyfriend to him. I would have been like, Oh my God, I just, I can't. (laughs) So I, I jokingly say that because, you know, we had a sex therapist on the show and I was like, I give it to anybody who can navigate a relationship with more than one person because one is already so much it's so much communication and you have to be so emotionally intelligent to manage everyone's feelings was that easy for the three of you initially or or what was it like when you decided we're doing this and we're going public with it oh yeah yeah, it was not easy at all oh it was oh it was oh man it was so hard we definitely have learned so much because in the beginning um yeah it was new new territory for all of us you know we definitely um i mean put it this way like six months in i almost left yeah really yeah why well because we weren't communicating properly i thought we had i thought we were communicating properly but i wasn't Mm -hmm. being totally honest because i didn't want to uh i didn't want to ruin it Mm. right so i was like holding back what i was actually feeling because i didn't want to you know make this fall apart because if if what i was feeling was too hard for us to handle then this wouldn't work so i just kept holding on to it and then it just exploded wow Mm -hmm. what were you feeling cassandra well i was feeling like maybe they were more compatible oh okay um 
I was, I mean, you know, when we had, when we were together, just us two, you know, we complimented each other so well in each other's endeavors. And we were in a transition in our, um, in our marriage where I kind of set off to just build my career and he on his own. Whereas prior to that, we were building everything together. Mm -hmm. So this was new for us. Now throw in the mix, you know, we have a new partner and she was trying to find her role and her role um, was more efficient in aiding him at the time in his career than it was mine. And so then I was like, wow, that's what I used to do. And, mm. and why do I have this huge passion of pursuing this career? And now someone else is coming in and able to aid him. Maybe I just don't even need to be here. Maybe this mm. was a sign. Maybe, wow. maybe that's why she came into our life. You know, that's like all the stuff I was going through, everything I was going through. Um, yeah. How did you bounce back from that? Like it blew up. What did that look like for the three of you, those conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we like always are, you know, honest and transparent in how we communicate. So that, that was like not an easy moment to, to talk through. It was really emotional. We really had to like unpack a lot. Like it was not easy. A lot of tears. It was not easy. A lot of tears, a lot of, yeah, it was a hard conversation. I remember, like, I think you said that day, give it three days or something like that. Oh, yeah. Or a month or something. Give it, you give said it a something. couple of days. Give it a couple of days before I was, like, completely, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. out. And in that, I said, you know, I agreed. And I journaled everything that I was feeling. Like, I just wrote it all down because I didn't know how to, how to articulate it. So I wrote it all down. And then I read it to them. And there was just so many tears from what I was saying. And, um, and then I saw how much they loved me. Like I, mm. I me sharing this with them and seeing how much it broke their heart that I was feeling this way made me realize this was all a narrative I created in my head because I wasn't communicating. Wow. You know what I mean? And then that's what broke my wall down. And, and then I realized like I'm, yeah. I'm leaving off of false, you know, a, a false idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, and those things happen all the time. Go ahead, Carly. What were you saying? Um, I was just going to add that that then, you know, that that moment sparked some like sparked an insecurity in 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 myself because then, you know, I was put in a place where I felt like I may destroy their marriage. Mm. And so that was kind of the first time that I felt like, you know, maybe I should like, you know, maybe I should leave because I don't want to hurt their relationship. Mm. And so that was kind of like my internal yeah. struggle was like, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe this isn't, you know, healthy. This isn't like, it. I don't want right. them to sacrifice their, or, or to compromise their love, like to include me, you know what I mean? So right. like, that kind yeah. of, like that's what that then sparked that mm. kind of emotion. Yeah. Um, it's good though to hear yeah. you, you all be honest and, and real about that. Right. Because it's easy to sell someone a dream for anything, like any lifestyle choice, but to be like, no, it sucked. And it was hard sometimes. And I was insecure. Yeah. I was oh, jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think being yeah. transparent about that um, is so relatable. We can all relate to that regardless of uh, what we are or aren't doing in our own personal lives or our own lifestyle choices. So I, I love hearing that sort of vulnerability because it certainly strikes a chord with me. I'm, um, it's awesome to see that you were able to not just bounce back from that, but deepen your bond after it and grow stronger together. Uh, Paolo, from your perspective, um, after that sort of like 
great sit down where you guys kind of hashed it out and got through all of those emotions. What were the new, if there were new rules, what were the boundaries? Um, what kind of guides your relationship now between the three of you? Are there ground rules or is it just kind of when something comes up, we deal with it, but otherwise live your life? Yeah, I think I think a couple of things come to mind. I think after all of that happened, we, we realized that we, we knew a couple of things. We're like, man, the love is not being like, it's not being, it's not flowing. Like it's not being distributed. It's not creating balance. It's creating off balance. That's all we knew. And later down the line, what we started to discover as common sense as this may have been for a lot of people, it, we just, we didn't have common sense because we were pretty much treating the entire relationship as one whole relationship instead of treating it as three separate relationships. Right. right. Cause I'll give you an example. So I have a relationship like, so I'm in the trifecta love relationship. That's one, right? There's a synchronicity. There's a synergy when we come together. And now I'm also, I didn't know this part. We didn't know this part. I'm also in an individual relationship with Carly, right? And I'm also in an individual relationship with Cassandra. So I, so I, so we started to realize down the line that we weren't feeding those relations, those individual relationships. We were so focused on the one trifecta relationship that that created a lot of uh, that created a lot of off balance. You know, yeah, we're, yeah, we're really definitely. not balanced because we didn't understand the dynamic of what it actually looks like when it's flowing. You know, so once we kind of uncovered that, I think that definitely it's not like it made it easy, but all of a sudden it started to make everything a little bit more rewarding because we started to see some of the some of the goodness that was coming out of it. You know what I mean? So I I feel like that's kind of probably some of the things that got established after that kind of traumatic yeah. traumatic event because it was really sad the things that she wrote and I was like oh damn that's crazy yeah. Uh, so yeah I mean I would say you know that those are some some of the things that got established I think a big moment for for us uh also was when we understood the concept of couples privilege I think yeah. that was like a really big shift in the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, break that down um, for me. Couples privilege. Talk to me. What is, what is couples, couples privilege? Yeah, couples privilege. So that's a so um, it is pretty much like um, there would be certain you know certain things um, that you know they would talk about or that they would do that would affect me in some way. Yeah, yeah. The big one was yeah. when we would get into arguments. Right. Right. Like I knew how to handle certain things that she didn't mm, know yet. Right. right. Because they were mm-hmm. still learning each other. And so that's couples privilege. Right. And to explain, like I would try and explain how I'm feeling and ex- like, and try and like, try and get them to put themselves in my shoes so that then maybe mm. they can better understand like why I'm upset or whatever. Um, and then we actually um, heard that term and like educated our, our ourselves on that term. And I think that it shed a lot of light on like how certain things may make me feel mm. and then how to yeah. better, like, work around those moments. Kind yeah. Of. Right. What was, what was cool about that is that that term was brought up by one of our fans. Yeah. Because it, this is what I love about what, you know, our fan base is, is like, you know, we started our channel and we started our social media accounts mainly because when we started, there was no voice on what we were like looking for. We were seeking advice. We were seeking understanding. No one was talking about it. And so we decided, let's just 
honestly show our relationship fall royally and like get up and just shake it off. Mm-hmm. And um, we were having some type of conversations and I think someone said that's couples privilege. And then we were like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And then we wow. like studied it and it was the biggest like eye opener into what she's going through. Mm-hmm. But being aware of that, right? Like privilege in any form allows you to be more mindful and considerate for her. Yeah, that, that is fascinating to me. And so it makes total sense. I'm curious to know when it came to, you know, coming out to your family and being like, hey, we're, we're taking this seriously. The three of us are a relationship. How did that go? Was there hesitation? How was it received? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was scary. Yeah. Was it? I was. I, I mean, we were very nervous telling our family. You know, mm-hmm. um, one, it was like, you know, we're married, so we have to tell our family right. that we're doing something that is so unconventional. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then two, for us ladies, it was also coming out as like bisexual. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I have a very, very religious family. Okay. And so I was, yeah, I was terrified. You know, and so yeah, girl, um, how did that go? Because we know, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you are brave. You're a brave soul because I know. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We did a Bible study. We did a Bible study. We invited. All no, of them. no. <laughs> it, was, it was hard. It was really hard. But you know, it was good yeah. because we had to. What I what, what I had to make sure was like I'm not going to just tell them just because this is a fling. Mm. Like you know what I mean? Why would I go through that if I wasn't actually serious and you know, pursuing a long lasting relationship with the two of them, right? So once we understood like, this is what we are fighting for, this is what we are going to pursue, mm-hmm. then then I was very serious about telling them because how am I gonna hide that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yes. we, we had to tell them, we just ended up telling them and yeah. you know, it, you know, shit, I mean, I don't know if I can curse. Uh, <laughs> it hit the fan, you know? Yeah. Oh, it, okay. Yeah, it hit the fan. Um, some of our family members were like super supportive, some just in, in non-agreement, but you know, loving. Um, some of them were like, you know, we're here for you, we love you no matter what. And then some were just like, I'm never talking to you again. Right. You know? Really? And then and then some have come around to yes, that. Yeah, you know, some have great. Come back so around. they didn't yes. they didn't accept it at first and then they learned to accept yeah. it. Both our okay. both of our moms actually didn't really accept it. Yeah, um, at, at which first. is me and Carly, yeah. So actually mm-hmm. my mom um, she told me she had a dream of like how she saw herself being the grandmother, and when I told her the news, she felt like I shattered that dream. And then she kind of just yeah. told. She said she, while while I was in the car, she was like, "Hey, I just I just need to know something. Do you think God is okay with this?" And and you know, it was kind of I was a little thrown off because my mom was not really religious like that. So I, I just found it funny that she threw that card. Yeah. And I just told I told my mom I said, "Hey, mom, look, listen, I'm not sure. You know, I hope that God is bigger than right and wrong. I hope He's bigger than black and white because." Here's what I do know. I know that there is love. There's clearly love here. And that's that's what I'm going to go by. It's not like what we're doing is like, I don't know, we're not doing no cultish stuff. Mm-hmm. We're not doing bad stuff. You know, like we're just, this. it kind of looks like a regular relationship, all the good stuff, but it's just another person in it. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't really understand it. But, you know, just like Carly's mom, she ended up coming around because she got to witness what I meant. You know, it's kind of hard to try to explain it because yeah. the first thing people go is they go like, so how does the taxes thing work? Like... <laughs> 
Like how, how do you, you yeah. see, like people try to try to logistically understand love yeah, and yeah. love can't be logistically understood. It can only be felt. Right. So my mom had right. to feel that and that converted her. And then your mom felt that and her, our love, the love that we were having, you know, that also brought her back. I, I just, you know, yeah. And it's crazy. funny with me because like, you know, you've yeah. watched this in history. Like it goes from, you know, mm-hmm. two people being together and then it's like, you, you have to be in the same religion to be with somebody. You have to be in the same race to be with somebody. And then when, when that started breaking norms, it right. was a shock. You know, how could someone be interracially in love? Right. That was a oh, big yeah. shock, you know, right. back in the day. Then it, then it was like homosexuality. How could you love the same sex? It right. was like confusing to people because yeah. we, we did that to ourselves. We just conditioned it. Yeah. And there is, you know, people have been living like this for years. They've just been under a rock. They a no one talks they've about it. They've been hiding. They've been hiding. Because I don't blame them. It's scary. People yeah. are scary. Right. People are mean. You know yeah. what I mean? The world is brutal, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's so good that you all are normalizing right this relationship dynamic these conversations and you're so right I love um, that analogy that you made about a thing is just not done until it's done and it is very often done in the dark but until we say it shouldn't have to go down in the dark that's yeah. what it will be. So yeah. um, at this yeah. point, you will have exactly. amassed a, a huge following of supporters. You have over 3 million followers on TikTok. Um, love is love, but that doesn't make it any less scary to open up sometimes because of how mean and cruel the world can be. So the fact that you all are willing to share and celebrate your love publicly, I think is really inspiring. Um, before I let you go, uh, what final words would you hope to share uh, really quickly just with anyone who's trying to understand uh, the poly amorous relationship dynamic or maybe considering it for themselves or maybe they're the ones who are hating on it what would you say to people what do you hope they get from from your uh relationship yeah i would I'm, say oh go ahead. No, sorry, okay. okay i would say no no obligation just just opportunity to grow and what i mean by that is that's what i got into this relationship is because i didn't I like yeah i think there's a lot of things that kind of make it really attractive um however I saw beyond that. And there was this really cool quote that I wanted to share. C.S. Lewis said, when you get married, it's like having a mirror in front of you. And that mirror, which is your your other spouse, your other partner, shares with you and shows you the blind spots that you have. So right off the bat, I said, damn, that's like me having two mirrors, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, to me, that's kind of how I saw it, man. I was just like, I I just saw it as an opportunity and I didn't want to force that because even if it didn't work out, I just kept reminding myself. Until this day, I still remind myself if it doesn't work out, um, not to be a pessimistic, but just in case, you know, there's still so much richness. There's so there's there's so much that came never, out of this. Yeah, it was like never so a, a much growth. I, I yeah. it's not like my growth is gonna go away. Like when if you know yeah. what I mean. But, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's what I would say. You know, I what about you guys? I would say what we what we our end with. Yeah, we, we always do it. We, well, I guess we'll do it at the end. Do it now. Okay. Yeah. So this is how we sign out all of our videos. Yeah. We'll say trifecta is it's signing out in love with love from love. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought because <laughs> anyone who's looking for this, you know, um, to have it, you got to be in a place of love. You got to mm-hmm. operate with love operate from love if you are hating on it hey you don't have to get it just be a person of love like you don't have to treat us differently like in love with and 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 if if they are hating on it we will never hate back you know what i mean it's just in love with love from love that's our motto that's what we have our fans saying we have merch on that like that's just what we preach that's like 
our biggest thing and and yeah that's yeah. who we are yeah. and like that's how we live our lives you know and to and the best of our ability. to the best of our ability <laughs> of course but yeah just in everything that we do we we let love lead yeah. you know and so that's really um that's what we want to spread out to people yes. like that's the message yes. i love it yeah. i that's love it. it i love it and congratulations because y'all proposed to carly we've got thank a fiance in the building yeah. <laughs> thank you yes they sure did of course so do we have wedding plans yet what does that look like is it a spiritual union only yes. can, you, can you legally wed too like what's the plan for the future so i have heard that there are some states where you can legally, you know, be married to more than one person. So we're going to look into that. But, you know, I've I've always said that for me, it's more so the spiritual marriage. Like, I don't really care to be, you know, married on paper so yeah. much. But, I mean, if it's possible, I'll look into it. For yeah. Sure. But, right. yeah, we're going to have a party. You, we're going to start planning. Yeah. We have to start planning soon. But next we year. You guys are getting the dresses uh, next month? Well, let's not tell Ooh. them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Cassandra, Carly, Paolo, thank you all so much for sharing um, your story, your platform. We'll be sure to uh, let everybody know where to follow you. But also, uh, if you want to just throw it out there really quickly, if people want to follow your journey, your story, uh, where can they keep up with you? Yeah, you guys actually, it's you guys can all go to thetrifectalove.com and you guys can find all of our social media there. Uh, and just some of the stuff that we do as well, YouTube, just some really cool stuff. So thetrifectalove.com. Thank you again to Cassandra, Carly, and Paolo for sharing their life with us, just a little bit of their story and their love with us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together. This was, whoo, this is a big one, y'all, right? Don't forget, you can share your stories if you want to submit your real woman, real story, or if you want to get, like, generally okay advice from me, yours truly, by sending in your submissions. You can do that. Just hit me up, hello at hothappymess.com. And if you like this episode, if you're not subscribed yet, subscribe. Subscribe. I'm sorry. I'll chill out. I'm sorry. It's all the coffee. Subscribe now, please. (laughs) And if you don't mind, if you're really a real one, would you leave a quick review, a little five-star review, just a sentence, maybe two, It really helps us out. It moves the needle, apparently. That's what the big wigs in the suits tell us. And we need to keep the listens and the subscriptions and the everything's going up as they are, which is so exciting. So let's keep building and growing and reviewing, shall we? Uh, Hit us with a review and make sure you follow me in the meantime at Zuri Hall, Z-U-R-I-H-A-L-L and at Hot Happy Mess on Instagram. And I'll talk to you next Monday. Bye. Bye. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.